All right. Good morning to everyone. And uh, this Sunday, we are actually coming to the end of what's been an incredible 13-week journey through the abridgment of the Bible called The Story. And I hope that uh, the big themes of the Bible have, have come home to your heart as you've seen it all in one glimpse. Um, but uh, as a reminder, from the beginning to the end, the Bible is a story of God's uh, ever-expanding, ever-enjoyable life. Um, and his firm intention to bring all things to completion and pull every single person um, in their stories into his bigger one uh, for your joy and his glory. Um, and so uh, we've seen that uh, through the Bible as we've walked through these themes. And as we come to the end, um, it's amazing because we spent pretty in-depth time in the Old Testament seeing those stories and how that story unfolded, the story of God unfolded through a people. Um, and then a lot of time in the story of Jesus um, and, and how uh, he brought that story of God to completion. Um, and the rest of the Bible, the, the, the stuff that we covered um, actually this week, um, we skimmed over a lot of material because we went through all the epistles, um, which were the letters of Paul um, and also the, the letters of the Apostle John and some of the other writers um, in the New Testament. And um, what I want to say to you about this as we, as we dive in and try to unpack it a little bit is that the entire Bible, but particularly the rest of it in the New Testament, is written to help us, uh, right in the middle of the story we find ourselves in right now, to live our life with power and with joy. Um, and so I, I want, what I want to punctuate here is that the Bible has many different themes, um, but the story of hope which is closely related to the story of faith. So sometimes we talk about our faith or the faith. Uh, the scripture tells us in Hebrews 11, chapter 1, that, that faith is the substance of things that we hope for. So in other words, faith operates through hope. And people are hardwired at the very core, emotionally and spiritually, to live from hope. You need more than simply food and sustenance and you know, physical things to empower and animate your life. You need hope. Um, and so the, the Bible from beginning to end is a story of hope. And what the Apostle Paul tells us is it's the story of not misguided hope, but true hope. And so I want to read uh, for you a passage here from Romans uh, 5, chapter, you know, verses 1, 1 through 5, um, to, to sort of see how the hope, the true hope, is both a past, a present, and a future thing. It is, hope is the, is, the, is the thing that drives the whole story of God forward, not only, not only globally for the people of God in this whole world, but also particularly for us in our day-to-day -day living. So listen to the words of the Apostle Paul here in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right with God, since, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us 
but he, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You know, when you, uh, when you look at the story of the Bible and you look at the, the, this, this powerful theme of living hope, um, I think it's important to recognize that being a Christian at its core is not the same thing as simply being a good person. Um, being a Christian is not about cleaning ourselves up in order that we could have a hope with God. It's actually coming to God for something that we could not possibly do for ourselves. It's for grace. It's for hope that comes from God. And therefore, the reason that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ literally good news is that it is good news for all of us. It's good news for the broken. It's good news in the middle of our stories when those stories lead to difficulty or to regret, even to trials. It is, it is peace with God. And what we need most um, is a strong vision of hope. And so I want to I show you how the entire Bible, the, but particularly the New Testament itself, is organized around this theme of hope really in three ways. First, this, that we have hope for our past. Um, the Apostle Paul in his letter, 1 Corinthians here, 6, 9 through 11, talks to a group of people who have come out of all kinds of circumstances. If they were to tell their story, uh, to one another, just like if we were to tell ours this morning, um, we have many, many miles on the treads of the tires of our life, right? We have many things in the rearview mirror. Some of those things we're proud of, many of those things we're not. Um, when I talk to people about their stories, um, they're, they're full of goodness and they're full of beauty and they're full of, they're full of uh, you know, joy and connection, but they're also full of sadness, and brokenness, right? And oftentimes, deep regret and shame because somewhere in the depths of our being, we know that not only have we come short of some standard that God would have for us, but if we're honest, we would even admit that we have an often in many ways come short of our own hopes for ourselves. Isn't that true? That, that somewhere in the depths of our being, we believe that there should be more for us and for our lives, and that we hoped to be more. And so when Paul writes his letter, um, he just candidly calls this out. He says, you know, listen, the hope that I'm talking about here for you in Jesus Christ is hope for sexually sinful people. It's hope, it, it's hope for dishonest people. It's hope for people who have been caught up in the illusion of greed, that, that material things or ambitions can actually fill the human spirit. It's, it's hope for people who have actually abused others in their quest for self-fulfillment. They've, they've let others down and hurt them. It's hope for manipulative people. In fact, he says, it's hope for all those kinds of people like you like, and like me. And the reason, the reason that the hope that we're talking about here that is for our lives that does not disappoint, the reason that it is good news is that it is hope not just for perfect people, good people, it's, it's, it's hope for people like you and me. And so this is what he says. He says, you know, some of you were like this, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason that the Apostle Paul knew that the depth of the, God, of the hope that God offered 
was for people that had a past was because of his own story. And he tells us a little bit of that biography. Uh, we get it in Acts, but we also get it here in first person in Philippians 3, um, 3 through 8, where Paul talks about his story. And he said, listen, I, I, was, I was raised and took the path of religion. He said, I was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. I was, I was in fact, a Pharisee of Pharisees. So he actually, as he got into it, was good at it. Um, he got promoted as a religious teacher. He, he was very zealous uh, for the things of the law and of religion and of doing things the right way. Um, so zealous, in fact, that his deep-seated belief, along with many Pharisees in that day, was that the hope that the world, that the people of Israel had and ultimately the world, would come through personal righteousness. So in other words, the, the storyline went like this, and we covered this one week in our, in our story, that if we could clean ourselves up and do enough right things and enough of us could do the right things together, we could win back the favor of God and the blessing of God on our people and therefore fulfill our destiny. So this was his operating principle. So in his, in his zeal for this, he began actually to abuse and to arrest and to persecute people who were not coming up to his standard of what they should do. So he would say, we're the good people, we're the right people, we know the right way. All these people are falling short of that. And so he began to persecute those kinds of people. And in fact, when Christians started to follow the way of Jesus and the way of grace and say hope doesn't come through the law or through, through being righteous like this, it comes through Jesus Christ. It's, it's a gift. He began to persecute those people. And so what he tells is that he he began to drag these folks out of their homes and travel to different cities and bring them before tribunals. Um, he was actually present at mob murders, like the one of the Apostle Stephen, where he stood by and sort of ratified um, the, the killing of the Apostle Stephen. Um, and so when he was on one of these persecution trips, he actually encountered the Lord Jesus in a vision the Lord met him on the road, and there was a bright light, there was a voice from heaven, and the voice of Jesus actually spoke directly to Paul and said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? And he's like, I'm not, you know, who are you? You're like, I'm not persecuting you. I'm, you know, he tried to tell a story there, and, and, and Jesus revealed to him that he, that the story of the good news was not righteousness through human perfection, but it was righteousness through grace. It was righteousness that came as a gift from God, not through works. Not anything that human beings could boast of, but through grace. And this so turned the Apostle Paul's, his name was Saul then, upside down, that he took a new identity as Paul and began to preach the free grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so what he would say about his story is that however accomplished sort of in righteousness that he thought he was, it was actually a misguided hope that led to regrettable actions that he carried with him the rest of his life. I'm sure he saw these people's faces and the things that he had done. He knew he had blood on his hands. But also the redemption, that the hope that was deep enough to cover even those kinds of sins and the sins of the whole world. And so Paul went around 
preaching this incredible hope that is bigger than our past. And so Paul would say to us um, and to you like, and to me this morning, if we were to take a screenshot of our past and we were to fill it with the things that we've done and not done and the images of those things that are best and our worst, and we were to put that on the screen right now for everybody to see, what would be your personal narrative, your personal story about your past? How would you tell it? How would you feel about it? Think about that for a moment. Because then Paul in his letters, in fact, in the story reading that we got this week, would want to speak these words over the picture of your story. Because this is, this is what is true of the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. He would say, as he did on page 452 and 53 in the Story Bible from Ephesians, he would say, in love, he has predestined you for adoption as a child of God. In him, in Christ, you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of your sins. His greatest prayer for you would be that somehow in the middle of your story as you were telling it to yourself right now, that your eyes would be enlightened in order that you would know the hope to which he's called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance. He would want to know that not only are you forgiven, but you also have a new identity and you're rich because you have, you have been a recipient both now and forever of the never-ending goodwill, the grace, and the love of God in Jesus Christ. This is who you are because you have a hope in Jesus Christ that is bigger than your past. It's bigger than your story. It is wrapped up into God's story of unbelievable grace. But that's not all. You have a hope that not only extends to your past, but to your future. You know, it's interesting in the New Testament readings that we got, um, you know, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John wrote the majority of the New Testament after you get past the Gospels. Um, and John, or Paul, through all of his letters, argues relentlessly to sort of give you the foundation of the ideas and stuff that add up to this incredible hope. John is a little different. He sees pictures. He paints pictures. He has visions. And so when you read, actually, the book of Revelation, if you've ever read that, it would be a great time to go back and grab a little bit of it in the story reading. John has a vision of the end. It's actually the very end of the story. And it's actually given in metaphorical language, but it's given to give us a picture of what hope looks like for your future. And not only your future, but the whole world. This is what the book of Revelation is about. And in this story, the story Bible sums it up like this. So beautiful. I could read this paragraph over and over. I did, in fact, this whole week. I just read it over and over. Here at the end, God wins. We can almost stop there, right? That's the end of the story. Here at the end, God wins. The final battle against evil, all oppression, all injustice, all grief caused by Satan and brokenness and sin will be wrapped up and consigned far from God's home. All the world's destruction and brokenness 
will give way to Jesus' promise of a new creation, of a new environment, of a new city, of peace, and of freedom. What incredible hope for the future. And uh, I want you to look at this in terms of John's vision. Again, this is the book of Revelation. If you have the story Bible, um, it's page 467. Let me just read you a portion of the second paragraph directly from John's letter, his vision. John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What a beautiful picture of the future where death itself is banished, where there is a new heaven and an earth. By the way, uh, this would be an entire aside, but we often think of heaven as some faraway place where we will go disembodied to float on clouds and no doubt eat M&Ms. But the vision of the Bible is actually way, way more robust because what we see in this story of the future is that God himself and his realm, which is really what heaven is, you know, his place, actually descends where? It comes here, right? There's a new heaven and there's a new earth. In other words, everything, you know, um, the beauty of the trees, the beauty of the sky, the sunsets over Lake Michigan, um, physical things of all kinds, creatures great and small, like, like redeemed, made right, renewed, physicality redeemed, all things redeemed. Such a vision for pro-life. Um, things matter to God. And God dwelling with people, you remember the story from beginning to end, is not really primarily just about God cleaning up our ick so he doesn't have to be disgusted by it. The whole vision is relational. It's about unity. The, 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 the point from the beginning was that God loved the world and that he wants to be with the people that he's made. And the whole point of redemption is relational. He wants to be with them. Do you see that punctuated in this vision, this picture, that God's intention from the beginning is closeness. It's you. It's relationship. And every tear, every, as C.S. Lewis says, every sad thing coming untrue. Every tear wiped away, things put right, God the light of the city. And really, if you read and caught the beginning of the story in Genesis, the original intention for creation in the garden 
is actually being repainted here right, in Revelation where, where God's original intention really does come true, um, that there's a river of life that runs through it and there's a tree of life that no longer brings cursing but blessing right here all through this story. What a vision of the future. Now, here's the thing. Paul says, like in Romans 5, the, the text we just read, he said, in light of this knowledge of the future, that there is peace with God, that there is confident hope, that we will share God's glory, even when trials come, the hope that is ours both now and in the future comes back now into the middle of time. It so animates our vision that we face the things of today differently because we know tomorrow. Do you follow what I'm saying? The future informs the hope of our present. And you want to ask the question, how do you actually live the Christian life? Not ultimately by shoulds, but by hope, by being so filled with who you are and confidence in where all of this is headed that it produces character and strength and endurance for the hard things that are actually now. And this is the final piece of the hope that we're given here. We have, we have hope not only for the past, not only for the future, but because of these things for right now. You know, John, in a commentary in one of his epistles, actually tells us what motivated him to write his letters and this vision and revelation of the future. He, he said, I want you to know that you have eternal life right here and right now. It's begun. And I want you to be confident right now that God actually hears you. In other words, this relationship, this intention of God from the beginning that's going to happen in, in fullness at the end is actually with you right now. God hears your prayers. Heaven is not silent. God is, God is aware of you. He loves you. He is mindful of you. He's interacting with you. He's inviting you. He's walking with you. He is with you. You are not alone. And you have hope for your present. The present actually becomes an invitation. Again, from our story Bible in page 469, we're just given a little glimpse of this. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears these words of hope, Come, let the one who is thirsty, Come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Do you get the message? All of your present all of this broken reality in the middle of time in the big story of God is one giant invitation to you and to the world that he loves you, that, he, that he's inviting you, that nothing stands in between you and the possibility of knowing and walking with God and fulfilling your destiny as a human person in the middle of a beautiful story that has an incredible beginning, that has an has a incredible future, and therefore is worth living right now. And you see, when we 
understand that the big story of God is actually one of good news. Not, not good news disguised as bad news because it's conditional on our performance or all the other things that we start to like, add to the story. And we start to grasp the freeness, the breadth, the depth, the height, the inescapable reality of God's love. We say, who can, who can separate us from this thing? This good news is splashing out all around us from the, the Bible and the story of God. It is, it is ours. And you know, what, you know what sharing our faith is? You know what our, you know what our destiny is? It's good newsing people. Right? We're, we're the good news people in the middle of good news. And everywhere we go, the aroma of what? Good news. Good news. Good news to the world. Christ has come. He's risen from the dead. He's making all things new. This is your hope. This is the gospel. This is your destiny. And Dan's going to come and help us close it. Now is a part of our lives, something that you and I get to be a part of. The end of the story, this whole study, is also the beginning of your story. So a great question we can ask ourselves and even one another is what are we doing with our chapter? What are we doing next? Now, Dell mentioned sharing our faith, and we know that that's a big piece of what God has called each one of us to do, to be his witness in the world, uh, to keep letting more people in on this good news. So I have a little bit of an assignment to give you today as we wrap up, and that is to start talking about your story. Now, I've put on the board here some questions that are great to answer, and if you, if you want to kind of be ready to share what God has done in your life, these are the questions that you want to be able to share. Um, just to be able to, to show a person, how, how is it that Jesus has made a difference for you? How is it that the story, as you're now a part of it, is actually, like, where are you going? And, and what's next for you? And how, how, how are you being transformed by these truths? So it's, it's actually a really exciting conversation to have. And I thought it would be helpful for us to practice. So our assignment, your assignment, my assignment, is this week to ask and answer these questions with someone. And what I want to do is to challenge you right after I pray um, and we say amen and the service is done, to find one person and just ask them question number one. Hey, just the intro. Just say, hey, where, where did you come from and what are you interested in? And let that be the beginning of a conversation. Now, if you, if you have fun in the conversation, if you like the person, you could always go forward and ask them the next question. Or you could say, hey, I don't have time right now to keep going, but let's, let's do a phone call or let's text this week or let's get together and share our story. Doing that one to another will be encouraging, but it also is preparation for when God opens a door for you to share your story with someone else. Say, hey, I, I, I know how to do this. I've practiced this. I'm ready to share how God is working in my life, all right? So as soon as I say amen, your job is to find someone, and just ask them that first question and see where it goes from there. Uh, but let's pray and let's thank God for including us in his story. 
Uh, Lord, thank you for what Dell shared today. Thank you even more for what the Bible teaches us about hope and purpose and joy. Thank you for including us in your plan and that really from day one, your vision for life and for love, um, Lord, has not been deterred by all of, the, all of the negative things and all of the sin and all of the darkness that has polluted our world and polluted our lives. Lord, you still love us. You still invite us in. You still say, come and drink freely from the water. Uh, and so, Lord, today we do that. We thank you. We praise you. We're excited to be your children. And we're also excited to keep taking steps forward in our story, knowing that we're just a part of your much bigger story. Now, Lord, as we share with one another, would you encourage us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.